0: But it's been an exciting time ever since Pentecost began. It's amazing. Look at our reading, hear it again. Amazing tongues of fire, it's birthday time. The whole church is is powered off at this moment. It's the first of many wonderful and weird things that go on in the book of Acts. Acts is filled with signs and wonders and they're awesome. In Acts 2, we see the outpouring of the Spirit on loads of people gathered as they are empowered to do a new thing with God. Signs and wonders that we've been looking at in John, we've been going through a series in John's Gospel and we'll we'll pick that up next week. But those signs and wonders, they, they continue from the person of Jesus into the people of the church. But they are signs to something. You remember, we, we spoke about that at the beginning of John. They are wonders that are there to point us towards something else. My son Ezra, some of you may know him, he has this little trait at the moment where he finds something he likes and he goes, ooh. And he, 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 he's just so delighted about it. It could be a, a bench in a park, in fact, it quite often is. He just goes up to it and goes, ooh, sit Ooh, he might be holding a little tractor. He loves little tractors and diggers. And he holds it, he's like, ooh, it's exciting. You see, Ezra is not wanting us to focus on him going, ooh. What he wants us to do, when he shows his wonder, his awe at this this object, is for us to see what he's seeing. Now, it's Pentecost. Some of our folk at St. Andrews will be sitting on their sofa with their oils of anointing, waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall again. Others will be sitting there with their arms crossed saying, "Okay, Charlie, let's not get too charismatic about this. Don't fear. The church is one in Christ. He is our lead. He is our Lord. He is in control of all that he's doing, even if it is weird and wonderful. These signs that we see in the scriptures and these experiences you may have had in life are signs and wonders to point us towards something else. Why does God come at this time? Why does God come at Pentecost? Well, just a little bit of background. Pentecost was a a festival that the Jews held in between the three different harvests that they had in the middle of the festival, where they would celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. Now, if you know anything about what's about to happen in Acts chapter 2, if you've listened to that reading, you can draw the link as to why God allowed this to happen at Pentecost. Because it is the first fruit of the harvest, They're celebrating the first fruit of the harvest and God brings the first fruit of the harvest. But it's a different kind of harvest. It's no longer wheat and barley and grain. It's people. God comes with power for the harvest of his church. This is the first fruit. And Jesus, he's been with them. He's shown them his power. He's taught them his way. He's told them to sit there and wait And so these disciples are doing that. They're gathering, celebrating his resurrection, learning from the risen Christ. But Jesus has ascended now. He's gone up to heaven. It seems odd. Why die and then bother coming back and then go again? Where's Jesus now? In chapter 1, verse 4, Luke, the writer of Acts, says this, And while staying with them, Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and not many days from now. So they were waiting for the promise of the Father. See, this isn't a new thing. This isn't, you're waiting for something brand new to happen. This is a promise that has been there for ages, hundreds of years. And Peter tells us that as he stands up in front of these people after this amazing sign happens. And he says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter Quote Joel the prophet speaking about what will happen this is a promise of God from hundreds of years ago this was a creation plan God knew this would always happen this isn't a oh let's just do something fun in the world and spread our Holy Spirit everywhere God says this is a promise from the beginning that people will be with God Jesus goes Because we need the Holy Spirit to be our power as he sits up there at the right hand of God interceding for you, for me, for the world. And the Holy Spirit, he is the one that sticks the power into the church for us to do something. The passage carries on, verse 18. Sorry, verse 17. I pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, men and female, they'll prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will see dreams on every servant, even the lowest, male and female. In these days, I'll pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. They'll speak the words of God and I'll show wonders in the heaven above. Signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. That's when he returns. The great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So they're waiting for the promise of the Father to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, whatever that means they think. And they know it's not many days from now. The Father promises Jesus tells us, the Holy Spirit moves us. God, the Trinity, three in one. This is the beginning of the church as we know it. Verse 21, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now you see, this isn't the beginning of a new religion as such. It isn't the beginning of Western civilization. It isn't the beginning of a new a new thing that's going on this is an old thing that is being fulfilled it's a movement it's a new age in humanity it's not political power it's not it's not man's reason it's not scientific strength it's not us getting to know and being more enlightened it's not war and fighting it's not wealth and beauty it's not a movement of any of those things but it's a it's a new empowered movement of love of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, enabled by God's indwelling power from on high in the hearts of ordinary folk, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, drawn into a new family of power with fruit of the Spirit, Enabled by God's indwelling. It's the beginning of a final age of the world, friends. We are there. We're 2,000 years into it. We don't know when he's going to return. It might even be this afternoon. But we're in that final age of the world. And where there is one point to this final age, you know what it is? It's harvest time. The people coming to know Jesus, calling upon the name of the Lord. Anyone who does that now will be saved. So a question for you, are you an ordinary person? Are you anyone? The call to know Jesus is that he can come to you as ordinary. He loves you so much that he's willing to make you extraordinary, bring you into this new movement of spirit-filled people, God-filled people. We can often fall into the trap of thinking that, that Acts 2 is about the Holy Spirit only. Some love that and some hate that, but actually that's not where we should be. Some have made this the focus of the church today, but it isn't about the Holy Spirit. That's not what the church is about, because the Holy Spirit at every moment, you'll see if you read Peter's full sermon there as you carry on reading in Acts chapter 2, everything he says is about Jesus. The coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 is all about Jesus. And that's fascinating. You see, the Holy Spirit is absolutely real. He's powerful. He's the reality in the life of Christians. But he moves us, directs the church to focus on Christ, who is our king, who is our center. We see the Holy Spirit enable people to be powerful for God. He is God in us, making us more like God, transforming us into the people he'd have us to be. But we see the Holy Spirit moving us to Jesus. We are Jesus' people, filled with the Spirit, recognizing and following the promises of the Father. Now look with me at verse 1. When this day came, the day of Pentecost, they We often just see these 12 apostles in our minds, but actually they, looks like, in the chapter before, there's about 120 people gathered there. 120 people who have heard of Jesus, maybe were following him when he was there. Therefore, there were women there, there were men there, there were disciples there, there were the crowd there, people that might have heard about him, maybe people that never even met him, but were infused at this, this story about this guy rising from the dead. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire. On them rested each one of them. Now we thank you, Jen, for those amazing hats. I hope you're all wearing them. I didn't quite get time to cut mine out simply because my camera broke. But I would be wearing it, obviously, if I had time. But you see, notice this wasn't a mighty rushing wind it was a sound like a mighty rushing wind you might just think they were in a a drafty place an actual fire was on people's heads but that's not what luke says it's like a mighty rushing wind a loud sound and as of fire it wasn't fire but that's the the image that luke brings up he doesn't quite know how else to explain what happens something physical happened as a sign over these people, the closest description of a, of a tongue of fire. Fire in the Old Testament often indicates the presence of God, especially in the burning holiness and purity and of his presence. These tongues of fire, these flames flickering, whatever that was, portrays purity and power and presence of God. But this purity and power, it isn't just over them. It is, but it's not just over them. It moves them to do something. It moves them to speak. It moves them to speak. And as they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues. Verse 4, as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, the Spirit started to give them power to do something extraordinary. Now, this isn't. Some mental rave of ecstasy. Although at first it may have seemed like that. People thought these people were drunk. That something came over them that was so weird and wonderful and powerful that the only thing they could think of was that these people had been filling themselves up with the best kind of wine. But it wasn't that. It wasn't just some rave Holy Spirit party. It was desperately odd to the world. But very quickly, the Spirit started to move them to communicate, and in an extraordinary way. Verse 11 says, we hear them telling in in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The Holy Spirit moves them to be able to speak languages that were earthly, that they, they had never spoken before. These weren't educated men who had done linguistics at university. These are normal blokes filled with the Spirit because God's got something to say through them. And what is it he wants to say? To tell them about the mighty works of God. And that's a pretty miraculous kind of speech. Spoken in tongues, gave them different utterances. The language that people understood. It says this, at that same time, the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them in their own language and they were amazed and astonished saying are not those who speak Galileans you see the response to this amazing gift from the spirit at that time was amazement and astonishment so they listened you see the sign the wonder the amazing things that we read about here cause these people to be amazed and astonished. Peter stands up and he starts speaking his native language. He speaks on what has happened and what people should do about it. See, they don't carry on into the, into the night just having a fun time. He stands up. I can imagine him just pulling a chair out, standing above the crowds. And by this time, people are gathering. People are there. Peter hasn't done this before but this spirit-filled moment it just it's just obviously spirit-filled as the tongues moment before he goes men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God was was God with mighty works mighty wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know this Jesus Peter stands up and what does he say? Doesn't explain the theology around the Holy Spirit. Doesn't even explain what exactly is going on. He says this is happening because of Jesus, who was attested by God with mighty works and wonders so that you can see signs to what he does. This Jesus is the center of his focus The centre of their speech, not the experience they were having. This Jesus, God raised up, he carries on. You see in verse 32, and of that we are witnesses. We are witnesses. God has raised him up. The people there, we are telling you about this fact that happened. And because of that, this weird and wonderful thing is going on. It's all about Jesus. Some of us will love that. Some of us will find that more difficult. But I want to just cover, what does it mean to have the Spirit in us today? Some of you might drag chairs into the public square and and say, Jesus rose from the dead! But the Holy Spirit dwells inside of a Christian. That's a given. We see that throughout the New Testament. The Holy Spirit dwells upon those who believe. Not everyone, therefore, will speak in French to tell Leah and JB the gospel. Not everyone will do that. There are, of course, stories of amazing moments where that happens, but it's not the norm. Repeatedly, Peter and the apostles are preaching the gospel as we see them go out in Acts. Their one aim is not to do amazing things, but when that does happen, they follow it in with the gospel. For example, we see this when Peter does this in Acts 10. Verse 39, let me read this to you of Acts chapter 10 with a guy called Cornelius and his family. Peter just says this, we're witnesses. We've seen it of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him to the cross and God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people. But by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, That's when, verse 44 of Acts 10, the Holy Spirit came upon those who heard the message, the indwelling of the Spirit. They then didn't do amazing things, but the people believed there were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on those who hear the gospel and their heart is soft enough to hear it truly. And then the gift of the Spirit came, poured out, even on Gentiles, and they did hear them speaking in tongues and praising God. You see, they started to make noise, they started to to celebrate, they started to praise God. That is the response of the Holy Spirit on us. What the Spirit does is it gives us a gift of of speaking the gospel. And many others, as the Bible says, but, but this is the key. The center is about telling people the truth about Jesus The Spirit comes on those who hear as he decides. Time and time again, we see it that through belief in the gospel, the Spirit comes and baptizes, drenches us in himself. But not everyone has a Pentecost moment. But all believers in the gospel are filled and baptized and drenched in the Spirit. Now, not everyone has a Pentecost moment. But Christian believers do have moments be them bigger or smaller in our categories but they do have moments of praising and joy and gifts and things that are beyond us. Martin Lloyd-Jones the great preacher uses this illustration it's like a child walking along holding his father's hand all is well the child is happy He feels secure and his father loves him. He believes that his father loves him, but there's no unusual urge to talk about this or sing about it. It's true and it's pleasant. And then suddenly, the father startles the child by reaching down and sweeping him up into his arms and hugging him tightly and kissing him on the neck and whispering, I love you so much. And holding that that stunned child, lifting him up so that he can look into his face and saying with all his heart, I'm so glad that you're mine and then hugging him once more with unspeakable warmth and affection and then he puts the child down and they continue to walk. A pleasant and happy walk with God is swept up into unspeakable new levels of joy and love and and assurance and reality. That leaves the Christian so utterly certain of the immediate reality of Jesus, that he is overflowing in praise and more free and bold to to witness than he ever imagined he could be. His child is stunned. He he doesn't know whether to cry or shout or fall down or run. He's so happy. The fuses of love are so overloaded, they, they almost blow out, and the subconscious doubts that he wasn't thinking about at the time. But they'll pop up every now and then. They're gone for that moment and in their places utter indescribable assurance so that you know that you know that God is real and that Jesus lives and that you are loved and that to be saved is the greatest thing in the world. That's an amazing image of how I see the Holy Spirit working, secure in the Father's hand, walking along, but just occasionally. Occasionally. Like any good father, you lift up your child and you just hug and kiss and and tell them you love them and you have this moment of sure joy. I've learned this as as a father myself, the look of sheer love when I jump out on Ezra in fun. He knows I'm safe, but he's shocked and he laughs and he shrieks and hugs and and laughs and and, and is, is surprised. The Holy Spirit gives us this sense, you may have it now, Not having it doesn't mean he isn't there. His promise is that he is. And the sign is our dedication, our conviction, and our love for Jesus. Ezra knows my safety and stability through the everyday walking with me and his mum. That enables the moments to be filled with so much joy. When in safety, we shock him and we love him and we play. Those moments of delight Move us back to the Bible. You see, miracles are not enough to believe. It's not the experience that drives the reality. It's the day to day reality, the knowledge of the Father through the gospel of Christ that enables the Spirit to douse us in His baptism as He dis- dis- decides. We know it's not the miracle that uh, draws us to belief because, you know, we know that Old, that old Testament story, walking through the, the, the Dead Sea, walking through the Red Sea, and, and you get. Water, walls, either side of you, walking on dry ground. Utter miracle as Moses marches those people, the Israelites, out of slavery into freedom and then a few days later they're worshipping a calf and saying we want to go back and God's not real. God hates us. Miracles are not our core. They're signs to who God is. The day-to-day walking of such is that. But you see, we have power Now we're holding the hand of the Father and that power comes from God himself indwelling in us and so we speak. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him Lord and Christ. Our passage carries on in verse 36. This Jesus whom you crucified is Lord and Christ. Are we bold enough to speak you don't need to be but you need to believe in Christ enough you need to be filled with the spirit to be able to boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ when he wants you to we often put us at the center don't we Peter doesn't do that let me tell you about me let me tell you what I like to do and we kind of hope that they might also be want to be like me I like going to church Not many people then say, oh, I'd like to go to church as well then. Peter doesn't say that. Peter doesn't say, hey, come be like us. He says, look at Jesus, I've seen it. He doesn't say, let me tell you about an experience I once have and you can now go away and think about it and mull it over in your heart. I find this desperately challenging. He doesn't cool off the tone and say, well, why don't you go away and think about this? He doesn't cool it down by saying, well, why don't you just read a book? Peter is Jesus-focused. Peter is in their face, not just in Acts 2 with this extraordinary moment, but throughout Acts and throughout the rest of his life until he's killed for what he says. Verse 37, this is the amazing bit. Now when they heard this, when they heard the full gospel, they were cut to the heart, that's the spirit moving in them. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter, well what do we do? Now, most of the time, we don't like to tell people what, we do, what to do now. We think that's a little bit rude. It's not remotely chilled. If we're to do this boldly, it would just be culturally abnormal. This is what you must do. And what does he say? Repent, believe, receive the Holy Spirit. Repent, believe, receive. This might be how they did it in those days, but not now. People wouldn't listen. Friends, there's a chasm separating a very difficult and mean person, shouting at someone, and someone who is filled with the Spirit, speaking the gospel in truth. God cares about the truth. And he moves us to speak the truth in power of his Spirit. And remember what I said earlier, this isn't a crusade to turn or burn. Although, of course, that's true. We're a movement of truth. A movement of godliness, a movement of love, of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in our speech. The Holy Spirit has made these people bold. On that one day, these were the people who were frightened 50 days beforehand. But on that one day, they were filled with a whole new reality. What if we were so convinced that Jesus rose from the dead? That it's not just a belief or a tradition or a lifestyle choice, but a conviction within. Repent of our old ways. Move away from a life without Christ as Lord. Symbolizing the rebirth through baptism, be baptized and receive the Spirit. It carries on, verse 38, you receive the gift of the Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. And this is our job, church, as we end. To powerfully, as the Spirit leads, tell the world about the truth of Jesus. Some of us are just so wrapped up with thinking this is rude or or difficult or will break friendships or family relationships. To assert our beliefs on others are just so weird. But this isn't just your belief. This is the truth of the universe. But others can come and hold the hand of the Father forever and have those moments of sheer joy, have those moments of understanding what the love of the Father really feels like and ask the Holy Spirit to inhabit your words, to prepare the person you're bold enough to speak to or the people or the crowds. It isn't a few pointers here in Acts of how to do this. It reveals the zeal that we now have in the church. The fire that comes above our heads of power, of purity, and of presence of God. To fully proclaim the message to the ends of the earth. So let's not be anxious. Let's invite people to know him. Let's explore this new life together. Let's do it. You may not know Jesus yet. You may not have believed, been baptised, repented of your sins, come to him and been filled with the Spirit. If that hasn't been you, I invite you, come. We're starting an explored course, Life Explored, to do exactly that. Your life will be completely turned upside down. It won't be easy, but it will be delightful. Let's do it. And so we're starting this course. Who are you going to invite? Seriously, if we all invite somebody, we could have 60, 70, 80 people on Zoom exploring life. Let's do it. Who are you going to invite? Come with them. Let's do it together. That's the beauty of Zoom. It's an amazing time where we're looking at death everywhere in our society. We're looking at our bodies not being able to cope with with a bug. We're looking at what death is. And here we have the answer to death itself, the answer to life itself. And his name is Jesus. The only way we will grow as the church of Christ is if we hand people the gospel as Peter did that day. Let's follow in his footsteps of being spirit-filled Christians and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we sing your praises and we thank you that you fill us with your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that it is by your grace, it is by your love that you hold us up and give us such a delightful gift. We thank you for those moments, Lord those miracles, those extraordinary moments that that you give us as gifts. But may they move us, Lord, not to dwell there for ourselves, but to go and speak the truth to others. May we not just be a welcoming community here at St. Andrews, but may we be an inviting community. And may we see many people come to know who you are, not for our sake, not for the sake of the church growing, not for the sake of being able to say i got one, but for the sake of people coming into relationship with you and lives being saved for all who call on your name will be saved. Let's worship you, our Lord and King. You've made a way. You're doing it again. And so wherever we are, whatever we're feeling, However we're responding to this, let's worship the king.